You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This course is from our International Catholic University Classics Collection, originally recorded between 1995 and 2005. This is our fourth lecture on logic, and the title of today's lecture is Opposition and Order. Now in this fourth lecture, we're going to finish our discussion of the logic of the first operation. Let's just recall some basic points. The logic of the first operation aims at understanding what something is, and the means to this is the definition of the thing. But we saw that we need tools to construct a good definition. In the second lesson, we discussed the most basic tools, the predicables, especially genus, species, and specific difference. In the third lesson, we looked at the categories, the highest genera. In this lesson, we will cover the tools that relate to specific difference, the opposites, and one that helps us put the whole tree of genus and species together, the tool of order. Now first, we need to see why opposites are tools for specific difference. Recall the function of the specific difference in the definition. Every definition must include all the species, but only that species. The genus makes sure that every member of the species is included, and the specific difference makes sure that everything outside the species is excluded. For example, if rational is the specific difference of man, it excludes every beast from man. If animal is the genus of man, it includes every man. If we did not have a specific difference, we would not be drawing a border, which is a definition of the species. In relation to the genus, however, the specific differences of all the species must include everything that is included under the species. Consequently, the specific differences under the genus must exhaust the genus and must ensure that the species under the genus do not overlap. For example, the genus animal has two basic species, man and beast, with two specific differences, rational and irrational. These two differences exhaust the genus because every animal is either rational or irrational, and they prevent overlap between the species because no animal is both rational and irrational. Now we couldn't use brown and four-legged as the specific differences that divide up the genus animal because first of all, there are some animals that are neither brown nor four-legged and other animals that are both brown and four-legged. If we use those two as our specific differences, we would end up with species that overlapped and did not include all the members of the genus. So we have to ask ourselves, what kinds of terms, or more specifically, 
In what ways must terms be related in such a way that they exhaust the genus but do not overlap? And the answer is, terms must be related as opposites. So, in chapter 10 of his categories, Aristotle takes up the topic of opposites. Now, before we can determine exactly how opposites are going to work in definitions, we're going to give a general account of opposition and its kinds. Aristotle himself identifies four kinds of opposites and gives examples of each. The opposites are correlatives, contraries, privatives and positives, which we also call privations and possessions, and what he calls the affirmed and the denied, which we are going to refer to as contradictories. He gives the following examples of each. An instance of the use of the word opposite with reference to co-relatives is afforded by the expressions double and half, with reference to contraries by bad and good. Opposites in the sense of privatives and positives are blindness and sight, in the sense of the affirmed and the denied, the propositions he sits and he does not sit. He then goes on to discuss each kind of opposition in detail. First, he talks about the correlatives. Now, we already talked about them briefly in our discussion of relation. There we found that every relative term implies a correlative term, a relative term that kind of works in the opposite direction. For example, the term double implies the correlative term half. Four is the double of two because two is half of four. The two relations together are called correlatives and they constitute a kind of opposition. Double and half are correlatives. Parent and offspring are also correlatives. Now, while the opposition between correlatives is important, extremely important in theology, and so we're not wasting our time talking about it, it's not going to be extremely useful usually for determining specific differences. And the reason is because correlatives can in a way overlap. For example, the number four is double the number two. Therefore, the number two is half of the number four. But the number two is the double of number one, and so the number two is both half and double. That is, the correlative terms overlap, but we don't want our species to overlap each other. Therefore, we should not use correlative opposites as our specific differences. So we should move on and talk about the next kind of opposition, see if we can use that in order to find specific differences. Now, the next kind of opposition Aristotle talks about is the opposition of contrariety. Contraries are opposites. Now, St. Thomas defines contraries as what are most different in the same genus. For example, in the genus of moral character, good and bad are most different. In the genus of color, black and white are most different. But what is true about contraries is that they often, though not always, 
have intermediates. For example, black and white are not the only colors. There are many colors in between black and white. In the same way, not everyone is either wholly good or wholly bad. Some people are kind of in between. Contraries then, precisely because they are most different within the same genus, usually have opposites between them. Now, could the specific differences of things be contraries? Well now, contraries do not have the same problem as correlatives. There's no overlapping of contraries. A thing cannot be wholly black and wholly white at the same time. A man cannot be wholly good and wholly bad at the same time. But specific differences, when all taken together, have to exhaust the genus. Contraries do not exhaust the genus because there are things that are in between the contraries. For example, we could not divide the genus animal through the differences black and white because animals come in a large variety of intermediate colors. The differences black and white would not exhaust the genus animal. Thus, contraries, at least those which have intermediates, will not make good specific differences. I want to give you a caution about the word contrary. Aristotle uses the word in two different ways. Sometimes he uses the word contrary in the specific way we're talking about here, most different within a genus. But because contraries are the most striking kind of opposition, he will sometimes use the word contrary to refer to all opposition in general. And so when you read Aristotle himself outside of the categories, and he uses the term contrary, you have to ask yourself the question, is he using the term contrary in its strictest sense, or is he using it in the looser sense where it just indicates some kind of opposition? That's all we want to say about contraries. The third kind of opposition is the opposition between privation and possession, or privatives and positives. Aristotle identifies the distinguishing mark of privations and possession as follows. Privatives and positives have reference to the same subject. Thus, blindness and sight have reference to the eye. Taking as example, we can say that blindness is a privation, sight a possession. Blindness, of course, implies the lack of sight, implies not seeing, but I cannot attribute blindness to everything that lacks sight. It would be strange to say that a rock or my podium is blind. We do not call them blind because we don't expect them to see. Thus, what Aristotle means by saying that privation and possession have reference to the same subject is that the privation is only attributed to those subjects which can have the possession. The privation is the lack of the possession in the natural subject of that possession. Now, we can ask ourselves, can privation and possession be the basis of specific differences? Now, it seems that they can. This kind of opposition differs from correlatives because it's exclusive. It doesn't allow any overlapping. 
a subject can only have the privation or the possession. He can't have both at the same time. A man cannot be blind and seeing at the same time. Furthermore, they differ from the contraries, the privation and the possession, because they have no intermediates. There is no middle between blind and seeing for the eye. So it seems that the opposition of privation and possession is both non-overlapping and exhaustive and is appropriate for specific differences. Finally, there's the opposition between affirmatives and negatives, which St. Thomas calls contradictory opposition. Now, at first, it looks like Aristotle's discussion of this kind of opposition is out of place. This is not an opposition between simple expressions, but between statements, which are complex expressions. He sits and he is sitting are statements and not simple expressions. Now, Aristotle would answer in this way. Those are not really examples of contradictory opposition, but they're only like contradictory oppositions. He explains in this way. That which is affirmed and denied is not itself affirmation or denial. For as affirmation is opposed to denial, as in these two statements, he sits and he does not sit, so also the fact which constitutes the matter of the statement in one case is opposed to that in the other, sitting and not sitting. What he's saying is that the two statements he sits and he does not sit, refer to two different states, sitting and not sitting, and that the latter two are really examples of contradictory expressions. We could say that contradictory expressions are simple expressions, which indicate the presence and absence of something, and are always expressed in terms of a positive word and a negative one. For example, sitting being the positive word, is the opposite of not sitting, which is the negative. Now, just as it is with the two statements that one is true and the other false, so it's the case with the contradictory terms that one always belongs and the other always does not belong. Now, like privation and possession, the opposition between contradictories is not overlapping. Something cannot have both contradictories. Further, it's exhaustive. Everything in the genus has either one or the other of the contradictories. And so it seems like the contradictories will also work as specific differences. The difference is that the contradictories are more universal. The privation can only apply to what can have the possession. So the privation and possession are limited to a certain genus. But the Two contradictory terms, the negative can apply to anything, whether or not the positive is able to apply to it. To illustrate the contrast, I can say the man is blind and the man sees. But I cannot say the rock is blind because a rock never sees. However, I can say the rock is not seeing because to attribute not seeing to the rock does not require that I ever attribute seeing to it. In other words, the privation and possession always belong to the same subject, 
but the contradictories do not necessarily belong to the same kind of subject. So, in fact, the contradictories won't be as good specific differences as privations and possessions, because privation and possession are restricted to the genus, and so they make good specific differences. But contradictories go beyond the genus. Therefore, they're not as good at being specific differences. However, contradictories are very important because they are the basis for the two other kinds of opposition. The opposition between the privation and the possession, and the opposition between contraries. For example, black and white are contraries, and black certainly implies not white. Thus, the contradictories, white and not white, are hidden within the contraries, white and black. In the same way, the contradictories, not seeing and seeing, are hidden within the privation and possession, blindness and sight. Our discussion of the opposites, therefore, has come to an end. What we've done is we've talked about the kinds of opposites, we've identified privation and possession as the best candidate for specific difference. And we've talked about how the contradictories underlie the two other kinds of opposition. That discussion has been perhaps more extensive than we need to talk just about specific differences. But it's very useful because we're also going to have to talk about the topic of order, our next subject. And when we order things, we always first have to distinguish them from each other. And to distinguish them from each other, we have to use opposites. So the topic of opposition prepares us for understanding our next topic, order. Now, we could say this. Order is a relation of before and after, of prior and posterior. So in chapter 12 of his categories, Aristotle talks about the different meanings of the term before or prior. He assigns four. Prior in time, prior in being, prior in knowledge, prior in goodness. Let's look briefly at each of those. Now prior in time is the easiest and most familiar to understand. Whatever is older than another is said to be prior to it in time. A building built in the 15th century is prior to one built in the 20th century. But the priority in being is a little harder to understand. Aristotle explains it this way. Secondly, one thing is said to be prior to another when the sequence of their being cannot be reversed, as one is prior to two. What Aristotle means when he says the sequence of their being cannot be reversed, is that the first can exist without the second, but the second cannot exist without the first. Now his example uses numbers. I could say this. I can have two cows, and if I have two cows, I also automatically have one cow. But if I have one cow, I can have only one without having two. The possession of one cow is prior in being to the possession of two cows, 
even if I bought them at the same time, because the sequence of their being cannot be reversed. I cannot have two without also having one, but I can have one without also having two. Another example that's going to be important for us, God did not have to make creatures. Therefore, God can exist without creatures, but creatures cannot exist without God. So we can say God is prior to creatures in being. We can say he's prior, he comes before creatures, even though time is a creature. And therefore, since it's a creature, there is no time before God created. To explain it more clearly, God cannot be prior to creatures in time since there is no time prior to creation. Therefore, the only way God can be prior to creatures is in being. He can exist without creatures. Creatures cannot exist without him. Now, a third meaning of the term prior is prior in knowledge. One thing is prior to another in knowledge when the first can be known without the second, but the second cannot be known without the first. For example, in counting, a child learns to count to five, and he can learn to count to five and be unable to count up to ten. But if he can count up to ten, he must also be able to count to five. The knowledge of five is prior in knowledge to the knowledge of ten. Priority in knowledge is defined in a way similar to priority in being, but there is this difference. Priority in being and knowledge are often the reverse of each other. For example, God is prior in being to creatures, but creatures are prior to God in knowledge. I have to know creatures before I know God, or to put it more precisely, I can know creatures without knowing God, but I cannot know God without knowing creatures. So those are the first three ways of understanding the term prior. The fourth way is the strangest. It's priority and goodness. Now, Aristotle points out that even though this is the strangest way to use the term, we actually do use it. We tell people to get their priorities straight, to put first things first. A man who desires wealth more than virtue has his priorities mixed up. Why? Because virtue is better than wealth and should be prior to it. But he thinks that wealth is better than prior to virtue. So we often use that term prior to mean better than. So there are four main meanings of the term prior. One thing is prior to another in time, that's the easiest. Prior to another in being. Prior to another in knowledge and prior to another in goodness. Once again, we've said more about order than we necessarily need to say to talk about genus, species, and difference. We need to say this much. The genus is prior to the species in the order of knowledge. I have to know what the genus is in order to know what the species is. And the same is true of the specific difference. I cannot know distinctly what the species is without first knowing what the specific difference is, because 
the specific difference gives us distinct knowledge of what the species is. So priority in knowledge is what's important for us. But it's good to talk about all of the kinds of order because Aristotle will say this, it is the task of the wise man to order. And we cannot order unless we know what order is and what kinds of order there are. So we've talked about order and opposition, perhaps more than we need to strictly for logic, but these are tools that help us all throughout philosophy and theology. Now, I think that we've covered all of the fundamentals of the logic of the first operation. It aims at definition, and we've discussed the categories, the predicables, the opposites, and order, all tools we can use to give good definitions. There's just one more topic in the logic of the first operation we need to cover, and that's the use of analogy. So in our next lecture, we're going to begin with a discussion of the logic of analogy, and then we're going to move on to the logic of the second operation, the understanding of the true and the false. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.